0: I'm Mel Stewart and this is the Swim Swam Podcast. Joining me today is Coleman Hodges, Swim Swam Head of Production and the man on the scene, on deck at all the swimming meets. And today we have two-time Olympic champion, former world record holder, Tom Dolan.
1: Thanks for having me, guys. Psyched to be here.
0: The top of the show uh I got to do two things we, we gotta you know we gotta talk about your school the Tom Dolan swim school it's I know that's something you're proud of and uh it's you know tell us about it what's going on in your life right now
1: yeah I mean it's a uh what, what a fun time to uh for, for all of us to talk about our small businesses as uh you know we're, we're 90 plus days in it's like uh the, the the rah-rah uh chat here is as I try to fire my team up every week to, uh, to stay positive. But um, so it's certainly been unusual uh, an unusual time to, uh, to kind of chat about, about a passion, passion project business, but that's definitely what it is. You know, I think it's funny how um, I think through the years um, swimmers that have been fortunate enough, worked hard enough um, to get to an Olympic level an elite level a lot for, for a long time, we kind of all ran away from the sport for understandable reasons. I mean, we all love a sport where you stare at a black line uh, all day long. Um, and so, you know, many of us understandably when we're, when we're retired, done, ready to move on, we kind of need a, 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 a refocus, a reshift, a, a new perspective, um, kind of a cleansing, if you will. Um, and I think we all do it in different ways. Uh, there's, no, there's no right or wrong way to do it, but I think we all do it in some capacity. Um, And, you know, I think for me, what's been incredible about the swim school um, and incredible about doing it in in the hometown and the region where I grew up is that it in a funny way, it kept me connected to the sport that I love, but did it in a way that allowed me that reshift that that kind of new perspective and focus, which is much more on the grassroots side, um, true entry level what are the right educational kind of curriculum driven ways that we can attract families to this sport that we all love in a very different way, not in a way of how fast can you get to the other side, but in a way of from a family perspective, um, having respect for the water, understanding water safety, and then allowing that to be the proper platform for which to build on, um, to fall in love with a sport and whether that means their love shows up in wanting to get a college scholarship or make junior nationals, who cares? Um, they're in it and they enjoy it. And the parents are part of the process, which is, I I, I love that. I have four kids of my own and, um, and I just see it from a, a whole different level and perspective than my pathway, which, you know, I started to have fun obviously, but I, I'm an uber competitive person to, to a fault. Uh, I'd be the first to admit that I've, I've got some, I've got some competition issues. Um, and I found an outlet for it, but I, but I think they still exist in me. And so, so what I love about, about my swim schools is my passion comes into inspiring our staff um, and, and allowing them a, um, a, an angle for which to understand the sport of swimming. Um, that also serves the community and, and really is an amenity for the community that um, we can feel like we're at the forefront of safety, but education also. Um, and all that can be done while having fun, which wasn't around when, when I was little. Um, and I think, you know, for me, as we get into my kind of competitive story in the 4 am, you know, I, I learned to swim the exact opposite of how kids in my schools are learning now. I, I learned how to compete. So I learned how to get to the other side by any means necessary. And I probably wasn't, I probably took until I was 12 years old to actually learn properly, right? Because I just was a competition fiend. Um, so I love being able to put my, my passion and skill sets that I learned from swimming um, into an endeavor where we can start kids off the right way um, and in a, in a very clean, um, non-competitive environment that teaches safety, but also teaches really skill sets that's going to help them excel educationally in school. Um, in, in, in group learning and following directions and just having those life skills that they're introduced to at a much earlier age than certainly I was. Um, so you know, I think the other side of it is, as you guys can attest to, being a swimmer um, is, is, a, is a very fortunate pathway. Um, it's a very controlling pathway. And I think we all, we all struggle giving up uh, some control in some ways. It's, it's also why a lot of us end up being entrepreneurs. Um, and so I think that side of it is I love. Um, you know, the final point is I I am a, a huge believer in in passing on knowledge and life experience. And that's a big part of of what made me successful is uh, there were great, you know, Olympic national level teammates who passed on their knowledge and success to me, both around where I grew up, but also just around the country. And I don't forget those things and I take them very seriously. And I think in that capacity, I'm honored to be able to run my own business, to be able to share with others, not in an Olympic level way, but in an Olympic life lesson level way. Um, and, and to me, that's a, that's a, it's a pretty neat thing to, to be able to, to offer to people and, and have every day.
0: Well, your passion's obvious and uh, we need more folks with uh, Olympic hardware who have you know, swimming in their DNA doing exactly what you're doing. So it, it makes me happy to see you successful in your market. We caught up yesterday on the phone. We had a night, we've we talked over the years. Well, my career was ending as your career was starting. And, um, but I learned a few things in the conversation and I was embarrassed that I didn't know this. You were talking about the 200 am in 2000. And, you know, based, and it, what was weird was that, you know, then I went in and started researching it and I found very little on that topic. Uh, And it's like, it kind of hurt my soul. So could you explain to me what happened in the 200 IM at the 2000 games? And give us the, give us the backstory and and how that unfolded and how you found out.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I think it's funny topics when it comes to, you know, alleged um, doping or just, just questions in general around, Hmm, that's curious. Um, And we've all kind of had those moments, whether it's, it's competitions that we were in ourselves or we just saw times and thought it's not really how this sport works. And I think what we can all agree on is one of the things that's, that's awesome about this sport is um, sure dreams can come true. And and if you work hard and, 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 and you follow everything that that the pathway has laid out there for you from coaches and skills and drills and that sort of thing, you can accomplish anything that you want. Um, However, it is a, step-by-step process. There is no magic carpet ride in a sport like swimming. Um, sure, you can you can shoot up in height from, you know, five feet to six feet in a year. Um, and if, you know, you were playing basketball, all of a sudden maybe you can dunk a basketball and you couldn't before. In swimming, that that promotes as many problems as it does solutions to getting faster, right? All of a sudden, your, your balance and buoyancy is out of whack and your stroke rate's different and your feel for the water totally changes. So the sport is very honest is my point. Right. And I think when, when that honesty doesn't shine through in, in time improvement um, it's okay to raise an eyebrow. I think we, we, I think so many of us live in this, like, well, I don't want to step out outside the step outside the lines. Like, are you kidding me? You just swam on a black line for years and years and years to fight for what's yours, for what you earned. And that was always my mindset, whether it's at the Olympics or any big meet was I didn't apologize for knowing I was going to win um, and having that mindset. I, well, I didn't apologize for it because I worked my ass off for it. Um, and I had to battle things like asthma that made that road even harder. And that's why in a lot of my reactions post-race, even my kids, it's funny now, not this totally on topic, don't worry, I'll pull it back. But even my kids now, as they get a little bit older, I mean, they're still young. They're six, five, three, and two, which is why I look as tired as I do and is, is life down as life beaten down as I am. But um, And it's that, so funny, though, because... Kind of quarterly, like at the swim schools, we'll show some videos and I'll sign autographs and just hype people up. And my six-year-old is now like dialed in a little bit to go, "Daddy, what? Just it's really cool to see, but why are you so mad after your races?" And you know, I say, "Look, it's I'm not mad. It's it is it is the emotion that just pours it out because it's a hard sport. We all know it is, and it's a hard road to get to that icing on the cake moments. And my point is that that feeling matters." that feeling matters a million times more than the, the stupid metal color, the record, anything. That emotion is, is what we work for. Whether we verbalize it properly or not or recognize it, that's it. Like that moment, that's what we're talking about. That, that finish, that touch, that raw, this is what I worked for moment can't be replaced. So to be clear, as I kind of delve into this, Mel, and, and and answer this, I am certainly of the camp and the mindset that replacing medals or switching medals, I think if you've done it the right way and you're in it for the right reasons means almost nothing except for one very important thing, which is exactly what we're getting at here, which is a leveling of the playing field, a writing of wrong, a recognition that an organization is actually aggressive enough to, to go and, 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 and find the inequalities, whatever that sport may be, right? And I think that's the frustration that we can all share, whether we're fans, whether we competed in it. So that is all as a setup um, to 2000 when uh, the tuner I am, you know, not my bread and butter. 4am is my bread and butter. Um, the, you know, y- your thought and your guys thought to do a podcast with me to, was for the 4am, not to jump as the tuner I am is my, right, I just, I wasn't a speed guy, I'd love to have been, believe me, love to have have, uh, have been a 50, you know, 100, 100 am guy, um, but that's, that's not who I was, but, you know, by my second Olympics, uh, you know, being a little bit older, I built muscle up, got a little bit more speed, and basically could just man- maneuver my way through it, is how I used to describe it, I, I, I couldn't power through a tuner I am, but I could maneuver my way through it, and uh and and really you know from about the spring leading up in in 2000 to olympic trials um strength wise was as good as i'd been um you know even 400 free kind of test uh events and meets leading up um i had good speed going out and so you could see my tuner i am was really gonna gonna kind of shape into form and it looked like i would be able to break two minutes and um, break Dave Wharton's American record. Finally love Dave Wharton, but like, come on, how long was that on the books? And so, you know, it it, it looked like it was time and was very confident going into Sydney. Um, I had, I had already broken the world record in the four IM and vent and I went one, two, um, couldn't talk about emotion and passion. Couldn't be riding a higher wave than that going in the tuner. I am. And, and, uh, you know, it's it's one of those moments where it's a bit surreal, and I think I'm a I'm I'm very much a realist in that. Um, I think the way I look at things, I, I'm going to tell you what I see, and um, I want people to to have honest emotion in sport because I think one, I think it's interesting. I, I think people will follow it more. Um, but two, I think that that athletes have a responsibility to tell it like it is, not to not to kind of guard against the what ifs, because that's not how they train. That's not how they compete, right? And I think that's part of their role. Um, and so I think for us, not just for me, it was, it was very off-putting to go into a competition like 2000 and see the Italian men really come out of nowhere, um, especially in certain events where they had no history of success, right? Um, you can make an argument 200 free, 400 free, even up to the 1,500 free on the men's side, Definitely it had, had a history of, of meddling, um, not dominating, but, but they were in the hunt, right? tuner I am never had any, any history. And for that matter, really foreign I am either. And, uh, you know, it was just one of those moments where it's a, it's a delicate balance, I think, because I very much viewed myself as an emotional leader of that team in, in the sense that how I normally swim. I, I was very much about um, watch me and follow me. Um, and, then, and then let that, that wave of emotion carry you too. Um, and whether that's instilling confidence or just belief or um, taking away the, the, the feeling of kind of, whoa, everyone's cheering against me here in Australia and there's 20,000 people watching a swim meet, which back then was, was crazy, uh, was awesome. And I loved every moment of it. That's how I'm wired. I, I would love, I'm the guy that if, if, if I could, could just have road games always, and have the whole stadium written against me, I would never lose, ever. Like I loved it, I loved every moment of it. But I also loved it because it showed how popular sport should be, right? Um, which all adds into the kind of, I think, amazement that we were all then faced with of what's going on here? Something Something's not right. And when I got silver in the tuner I am, the balance that I'm really referring to is I, I'm also well aware of my reactions matter, right? And. Um, th- whether they're the younger athletes on our team or the fans or anyone supporting us, how I react matters to them. Um, both good and bad, right? In celebration to get everyone pumped up or in, in, in looking like silver's not good enough. And as a quick side note, what I would say, historical perspective of my career, one of the things I wish I, I was better at, I'm not saying I would go on a time machine and change it because it's not who I am. It's not how I'm wired. One of the things I, I wish I was just better at I, I'm I'm am 44. I'm not better at it now. I will never get better at it. Is accepting that um, it's not gold or nothing, and that is totally how I was wired. And when I give talks and talk to kids and teams and parents, that's a lot of what I talk about. Is that It's a knock on myself to say, look, there's a better way to kind of view this. Um, but you know, I'm not apologizing for it. That's how. That's who I was. And I and I really viewed that. I worked so hard. Um, to overcome so many so many kind of health aspects along the road to any big competition that I didn't see any reason to accept anything than being the best in the world and getting first and winning a gold medal, period. And I was offended if that didn't happen, like like something really went wrong if that didn't happen. Um, You could chop my arm off, you could do anything, and it just wasn't even a thought in my mind to not get first. And so to touch the wall and break the American record And be the first American under two minutes in the tune I am, which by the way, like, come on, America, you got to like, I can't, am I really the first guy under two minutes, like I can't sprint at all, you know, and so but yet, I was proud of that, right. And to then look up and go, what, what's going on here? Who's this guy that I just lost to? And it's a tricky one to, because I don't want to show that, right? I don't want my teammates to, to feel like, well, silver is not good enough, because that's that couldn't be further from the truth, right? Effort is what matters. that's what we all learn in the pathway is what matters, not that, not that end goal. Um, but it's a, but it's a tricky one to balance in the situation. And, you know, I think that um, to process it at that moment in time is almost impossible, but I can tell you w- w- with, with full assurance that there was a minor level of processing that went something's not right. Um, and look, I, I grew up in the 4 am, So there's no event. I mean, you can look historically at trends and times and, There's no event of any event in swimming that is a predictor uh, of kind of advancement, longevity, and kind of who's in the game. And, And if you look at World Championships Olympics, I can guarantee you four to five to six of the same names are in there time and time again because they've kind of mastered the event. And I always look at it's like one of those old vet events. It's like you kind of master the trade of it and and you you can able to like body people out just to keep them out of breaking in Um, and so so I come from that mentality in the 4am and the 2am is not as much that way but still close enough Um, so it doesn't happen very often where someone just kind of out of nowhere drops massive amounts of time and gets to a level which back then was a significant level now you know present day thanks to Michael and Ryan and Laszlo and I mean, we were swimming in, in quicksand basically compared to what these guys are doing. But you know, one fifty-eight, one fifty-nine level, you just didn't see it often. Um, so it's not like you're just busting out a one fifty-eight high and it's like, oh, that's a that's a big drop way to work, way to work hard, right? It just didn't it didn't work that way. And we all kind of know that about swimming, and that's one of those events where you, you've gotta have a lot of tools in your in your bag to, to be able to work through it and 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 it requires, you know, a lot of skill. And that doesn't just come in, in a single time drop. So fast forward from there, um, this is the reality of like, well, wait a second. What, what, what are we doing anything about this? Are we talking about this? And it was just this like what I would call in my experience, very typical swimming. Um, like nobody really wanted to say anything, but everybody had questions. And so what do you do and what happens? And. And, and not a lot of people know this story, which is why you're asking. Good for you, Mel, for asking. Is I was in New York after the Olympics are over doing a media tour in New York, and Tom Wilkins called me. Um, who, Tom Wilkins got the bronze in the Tuner I end. And uh, he and I had swum against each other for, for many, many years. And he said, hey, Tom, have you heard the news? And I said, no, what are you talking about? He said, well, congrats, because you're going to get the gold medal in the Tuner I Am. Um, It's an article has come out that shows proof that the Italian men were systematically um, week in and week out in their training camp leading up to the Olympics testing for human growth hormone. So basically what they were doing is testing to see what level they were to figure out how they could take it, but not have it jump so high that it was, you know, so clear. That that they were doping with with human growth hormone. Now, the trick is that in, in the Olympics in 2000, that was the last Olympics that we did urine, not blood tests. And so what we later came to find is blood tests is really the way to get HGH and, and catch it. And urine is very hard to, they can, they can my understanding is they can they can test it and find it. They can't really get a, a base level. It's very hard for them. But this article had said that the 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 Italian men when they were testing leading up were 30 times the normal level of human growth hormone. Um, and if you go back and look at, at results, not just from, from my events, but breaststrokers, other, like there are guys that came out of nowhere. Um, so look, here's my, here's my view of it. Um, and, 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 and I'm being very kind of straightforward in this. I don't have a day in my life where I'm bitter about it. I don't. Because guess what? I, I didn't train my butt off um, and, and, and play all the little tricks on my mind that I used to play um, to think people were slighting me and, um, and just get me to, 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 to keep going, right? And keep that fire. I didn't do that to have it then be defined as being worthwhile or successful um, because somebody touched the wall before me in the tuner I am. Do, did did it sit well with me? No, absolutely not. Did I enjoy? Did I enjoy? Um, you know, allow myself to, to enjoy the kind of remainder of the said, eh, A little bit, but that that's that's just me, right? That's my own problem of like there was only one result that was okay, but it had nothing to do with hey, life's not fair. Um, this should be reversed. This should be. And I said just as much to Wilkins when he called. I said, look, whatever happens, happens. It's it doesn't change my journey. You know, I worked my butt off. That was my best time. I used to always, you know, tell, tell groups of kids when I talked to them, all you can ask of yourself is do best time. If you're in the Olympics yeah. and do best time, you're doing, you're doing pretty well. And, yeah, and that's not a hype speech, right? That's just me saying it, it doesn't change my view of it. But I certainly think it's a good example of the sport not writing itself and not equalizing itself, like I mentioned in the beginning
0: it's a it's uh i want I want to focus on 400 and I am but it's it's a piece of history I feel like I know everything especially among national team peers because there's a level of of intelligence that we share that well let's just say we 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 know what's going on yeah. but uh it's something I didn't know and i was when I heard it I was like, wow, I should have known that the uh let's take it back to the 400 I am you are the professor of foreign I am you're the guy i mean you you were four twelve in nineteen ninety four Worlds, you, you you shaved down to four eleven uh, talking to Coleman ahead of time. He's like, Mel, that would have been a bronze at world championships last year. I'm like, you know, based on swim, swim world rankings, he would be ranked fourth in the world for 19, 2019, 20 rankings. So you're, you, you've got resiliency in the market for the 400. I am buddy, but I just want to, I, 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 I'm just going to, this is confession time. I, I spent 400. IM am as an age group. I stand the mile, 500 free, 400. A.m. I feared the 400. I am because the 400. IM am really is two animals. It's, fly back, free, abysmal breast, or it's breaststrokers who come through who have lungs. And uh, you're a breaststroker who exactly. came, came through with breaststroke, and you had lungs. Break it down. Break down the animal that you were and how you got there.
1: Yeah, well, and I think where you started is exactly right. And I would add the, the, the one element, which is, um, for, for most of the world's population, that is a natural breaststroker when they're little, they're horrendous at backstroke. Um, It's just a weird reality that happens. And so historically, you know, prior to kind of my, you know, my time in the 4im, that that proved to be true, that that makeup kind of proved to be true. In other words, the natural breaststrokers um, who could really dominate at a world at an elite level in the 4im really struggled with their backstroke. And so they kind of just coasted the backstroke and worked the breaststroke. And that's how they would separate and they would hold on in the freestyle. And when I grew up, that was, that was kind of the, the normal view of it. Or to your point, if you were a butterfly or a backstroker or a freestyle, you would hammer that leg of it, just hold on for dear life and, and, and breaststroke, and then, and then pull it together and freestyle. So, you know, a couple places that, that I would kind of just lay foundations. One is I, I grew up as a breaststroker. Um, a lot of people don't, don't know or don't remember that my first junior national cut was in the tuna breaststroke. Um, Bangor, Maine—one of one of the one of the shadiest pools I've swum in, like a basement pool. Um, and and I'll be honest with you, like I don't have a great memory, and I'm really bad, uh, even in certain moments of like splits and that sort of thing. But I can vividly remember being like fourth or fifth place at the 150 and the 200 breaststroke at Zones in Bangor, Maine, to try to make Junior Nationals, and I just r- ripped off the last 50. And won and made juniors, and that kind of set my whole race mindset from then on. Um, and I just had this belief that no matter what happened in the race, I was going to find a way to get my hand on the wall, um, be it pretty or not. It's just, it's, it's just th- that kind of grinded out mentality that I had. And and so the point is that that's that's where I started. Even even summerly growing up, breaststroke was was from eight and under on. It was my go-to event, um, and I just I had I had that timing. Um, I had that feel of, of, of really grabbing the water with the, you know, with my feet and, and, and easily kind of feeling the instep. And I was a big field swimmer as a little kid. And so swimming was just my, sorry, breaststroke was just my natural stroke. And so similar to you, Mel, you know, as I kind of grew up through the ranks and aged up, distance freestyle became a base for me. So then you had that kind of logical, okay, now we've got distance freestyle, um, breaststroke, I was a, a, a bad backstroker when I was a little kid. Butterfly, I was actually okay, but I never really swam it. But it wasn't an issue. But we'll get to your the butterfly.
0: Your butterfly sucks. Your butterfly's we'll get terrible. To the butterfly. I've seen your butterfly. It's abysmal. Yeah. I look at it. It makes me cringe.
1: Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you, there, there, are, there are reasons we're going to get to as to why I swam it that way. Which philosophically, I don't think a line anymore. But back then, it's kind of how we were taught to manage almost manage energy systems. And that's that's kind of the second part of this is you've got this foundation of, I grew up as a breaststroker, so that was a, an easy kind of philosophical strategy planning go-to for me, had that at freestyle base. Um, and then it was really working the, the components of the race properly. And so as it, as that was put together, um, the turning point for me um, in, in building that strategy was, what can I do to improve my backstroke to, to change it from essentially something I had to hide to was a weapon that I could utilize and, and kind of work people on so that I, then I got into breaststroke and that middle 200, you forget it, right? So And if you think about it that way, my strategy in that is if I can dominate the middle 200 like that, I, I, there's really no way to, to combat that. You could be a great butterflyer, but you've got a 200 then in the middle that you got to deal with. And, and, oh, by the way, I was a, you know, 348, 400 freestyle. So who was it? And also my mindset was a pain in the ass. So nobody. I, I, ever I'm, stopping,
0: I'm stopping you right there. I've always been a fan, but I didn't love you until that, that 500 free at NC2A. I, I, I got to re- go from memory with the 408.
1: Yeah, 408, yeah.
0: I, I didn't. I, I, I was a fan, but I didn't love Tom.
1: Until he dropped
0: suit. the 408, 408, wow. 500 yard free. Then it was like, okay. He owns a piece of history. He's a swim god in my mind. And that's now, now I've got you burned in my brain, bud.
1: <laughs> yeah, that NC2A's in '95 was, um, was the, the easiest swim meet that I've ever had. One of the big things I always, I always talk to people about is, and I think one of the biggest misconceptions that, that the swimming community has of Olympians is thinking that the races were easy for them that somehow they're in a different stratosphere, and that it didn't hurt, that it wasn't painful. Um, and I always find, like, when I share stories about my races, what what surprises them most is how much I let them know it hurt, and it wasn't perfect, um, and it didn't go completely according to plan, and I tightened up more than I thought I would, or I made mistakes, and and they're always blown away, because I think when they when they watch on TV, they just think that were, were robots, right? And that we don't make mistakes and nothing ever hurts. And it couldn't be further from the truth, right? I'm sure you would say the same thing. Like, I can count on one hand the number of meets or races that truly just felt, you know, great and didn't hurt from the hundreds that I had, right? And it just so happened that nc 2 as 95 was my asthma was, was great somehow at that meet. Um, it just all lined up. And I'm not a big believer in, like, oh, the taper really worked. Just, just you come down in yardage and you race. Sometimes you feel good. Sometimes you, do. I don't, I don't buy into the whole, Oh, you got to hit a perfect taper, like gut it out and, and get it done. You're not going to feel great all the time. It's, it's why the sport is hard. Right. But that was one of those meets where <clears throat> the quick story I'll share with you. And, and, and I apologize, this isn't for, I am, but for, for that 500 free, uh, you know, we, Urbanchek trained me leading into that for the 500 free 400 I'm in mile. So we did very specific sets, um, to kind of test my body and see what I could hold and 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 where I was really going to be, and he knew going in that um, it was going to be a really good meet. I mean, I, I was kind of just crushing every test that he he gave me, and um, you know, pace times all look good. And so he said in the morning, uh, the five hundred free. All right, hey buddy, you just just take it easy. Don't go. Don't be a hero. Just take it easy and cruise through it. And I'm like, all right, don't worry about it, man. I I got it. And so just as a quick kind of factual backstory chad carvin who i love one of my favorite guys in swimming um along with guys like vent um chad the year before uh to, to my my anger um had was the first was the first guy at NCAA level to break the american record in the 500 and the mile in the same meet, and i was in both those races um that was my kind of introduction to college swimming as a freshman and in retrospect it was awesome at the time not awesome uh was 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 not a fan of chad's at the time but but nevertheless, um, you know, he and I were were kind of one-two in all three events going into NC2As, and so uh, I swam in the morning. And Chad, the, the the year before, broke the American record, and I I want to say it was it was somewhere around 411 high, 412 low, something like that. And I I, I felt like I cruised it, and put some legs in. But as everybody knows, uh-aha in the comment section, I wasn't a great kicker, or whatever. But the point is, I kind of cruised it. Um, yes, my turns were not the greatest turns ever. Again, in the comment section, thanks for chiming in. Uh, cruised it, touched the wall, and it was like 4.124. So I barely missed Carvin's American record. And and I got out, and I, I walked around. This is at um, UI, and I walked around the to go down to the um, warm warm down pool. And her band check grabs me by the arm. I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss on here, but okay. you Asshole! What the fuck was that? It's too hard. You're going to be dead tonight, Dolan. You ask. And I go, buddy, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I, it, that wasn't hard. I, I'm fine. And he goes, yeah. And then I go to the warm down pool. And that night, I go 408. And he goes, holy shit, I guess you were telling the truth. <laughs> this so is all John or band check. This is not <laughs> Tom like, Dolan. This is,
0: you're doing a dead honor band Check. I know that, man.
1: It just, you know, and it's just one of those moments where it did, that it worked. Like, everything worked and it felt great. Um, and that was one of those meets where, you know, the next night I went 338 in the 4am and, and I have Roy Sharp, who is my Michigan teammate to thank for that, who is the American record holder in her back and her band check. All he said to me before we went up which probably every coach that watches this is going to go, what? That was it? he goes, all right, asshole, just make sure you're even or right with Sharp at the 200 and it's fucking over. And so Royce is in lane one and that's, that was my marker as I was a half a body length or so ahead of him at the back after the backstroke and then it was off to the races.
0: So well, you just got a not say for work uh, rating, for, for, for quoting or pancheck, but very authentic. Perfect. Yeah. That's right. Here, we're, we're, I, I got to tell you this, we're down to six minutes. We got to keep it tight. Yep. So uh, that, I'm going to, I'm going to, I just want to ask this one question. In in terms of, uh, we're going to bring you back and focus a little more on 400 AM because I think I derailed you in the beginning. But let's just get down to some nitty-gritty fun stuff. I always felt like if you're a mid-distance, distance swimmer, there was a certain glee and joy in practice of just hammering swimmers, sprinters in practice. Personal experience, how about you? Did you have, did, Is that a feeling that you had? Is that a, a joy in your life?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I was definitely one of those swimmers that, that you know, I didn't, I didn't apologize for what happened in practice. It's funny. I was, I was, uh, I was watching uh, Bob Bowman's podcast with you guys. And he had mentioned that the time when he had the group with, um, with, with Michael and uh, yes, and Yannick and, and kind of that whole crew. And, you know, he kind of admittedly said, I think, I just think it was too much. I couldn't race them every day. And while I totally understand that, I love that.
0: That would have been a T-bone uh, steak for you, buddy. You'd have been like, yeah. ah, we're going to the steakhouse today. Love it.
1: Like, I, I think that's fantastic. And, and so, yeah, look, I, you know, part of it for me, too, in the former IM I am is I would love it because I could jump groups. So I would be in the distance group. But then if we had a breaststroke day, the breaststrokers would come over. A Backstroke day, I could swim with the backstrokers. And I just love the challenge. I think for me, all of it was fun because it was, a, it was a challenge to say, oh, let me see if I can stay with these guys, right? And as I got older um, and faster, then I would do backstroke with the freestylers to see if I could do a whole set staying up with them. And, and I just, I thrived on that. I, I definitely was, um, I, I, I don't ever look at it as like, oh my God, this is what we have to do. Like I loved the gauntlet being thrown down and it was something new that was gonna be, I was gonna be challenged with and it kept me alive like that. I needed that. If I didn't have that day in and day out, it got stale for me. Gotcha.
0: We're down to four minutes, Coleman. I've hogged him the whole time because I love Tom <laughs> Dolan. I, 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 so to, Coleman's going to come here and ask you a question, but before he does, I just want you to know that, and that I have been sitting here thinking to myself, there's two Tom, Tom's that I love Tom Mouchel and Tom Dolan. But after this conversation, I love Tom Dolan just a little <laughs> bit more.
1: Take that now. <laughs> so,
0: so, uh, for, for the current, Status of the 400 IM. I think, you know, there have maybe been ten guys to break the 410 barrier in the 400 IM, and you, <clears throat> you know, two-time gold medalist Olympic gold medalist in the event. You had a mastery of it. Um, what would you say is is the key to swimming a perfect 400 IM? Um, and what do you think it's gonna? What do you think it's gonna take for that Phelps world record t- to go down?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think. Um, I'm a huge Chase fan, by the way, so uh, I, I couldn't root more for Chase. He's awesome. Um, plus, my kids love Paw Patrol, so they basically cheer for Chase every day because um, Chase is one of the main characters in Paw Patrol. So, um, look, I, it's a great question. I, I, here's how I would answer it: One, um, going for or three is going to be a tall. It's, it's, that's, a, that's a big ask. Um, you know, I think uh, I think every record, you know, is meant to be broken. So it's not to say that it won't be. Um, i would I would put it in this place um the way as much as I'd love to see michael's record stay um to answer your question, Coleman I think the strat the race strategy that works best and the way to attack a a record that's that low is to recognize even though it's really hard to kind of conceptualize and realize where recognize where the weaknesses are in those splits um and and then where you can take advantage right so w- what I would say is um that you're not going to match in in right energy systems Michael's butterfly split and have it make sense for 300 more meters of an individual medley right you just kind of have to you have to just understand that so my view of it always would be how do you get close enough call it within a second without wrecking that energy system of easy speed up front that doesn't also waste your legs right Um, to me where you attack that is the middle 200 and not just because that's what my IM was but but that's actually where I think the the, the event will get faster is, um, is athletes that recognize that you can, you can attack a backstroke and breaststroke leg and still have enough to match your, your butterfly split, which, which essentially from a balance standpoint is where you should be at least. Michael and Ryan kind of even tested that and could go faster. But part of the reason they'd go faster is they would rest on one of those 50s of back or breasts, right? So my big thing was always attacking the first 50 and back and breast, because it, t- it, it shakes the field up a little bit. Most people, historically, they, they descend or back half each hundred. Um, and, and if you attack that, that first 50 of backstroke and attack that first 50 of breaststroke, it gives you a better chance, I think, to be aggressive with it, but also not wreck those energy systems that you're working in each hundred um, and save enough legs on that freestyle to be able to bring it home. And I, I think somebody will. I mean, I, you know, they broke Michael 200 fly record, and we all thought that would last for a while. So I think it's going to happen. I, I just think, look, it's a hard event, right? It's a hard event. It takes, it takes um, a lot of mental toughness. Um, I just think it's one of the, those events that you've got to have just as much mental toughness as you do physical aggressiveness.
0: Um, you're a gentleman and a scholar, and that was the master class of 400 IM, but it wasn't enough. Will you come back and, and let us take a deeper dive just on 400 IM?
1: Absolutely. I'd love to. I appreciate you guys having me. It's it's fun to, to delve back into this world that uh, that I don't get to talk about enough and, and even throwing a few Bancheck F bombs. Sorry kids out there, but I mean that's how he talks. I don't what do you want me to do? That's what he says.
0: He's a sweetheart, it's a colorful metaphor. We're totally okay with that. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Dolan, we're gonna bring him back and ask him the most the toughest question of all. How slow did he feel after he saw that four four hundred three, four hundred IM when he watched <laughs> on television or from
1: the stands?